Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 387. This program is dedicated by Meir Eliezer ben Chana, Leil Glickel Bas Chaya, Umishpachtam and their family, Begashmis and Beruchnis. The responses I received to last week's special edition were unprecedented, simply in number and also in emotion and in appreciation, even though it's difficult to say that word under these circumstances when you talk about such painful, tragic, horrific events, and yet I received a tremendous amount of responses, and especially the word that many people used was hopeful, that despite the nightmare that there's hope, that we can turn this into a positive revolution. So in this program, I will follow up. Quite, I can't follow up with all the responses. Literally, we're talking about in the hundreds. But I will select a few. But before we get to the follow-up, let us focus on this week's events. This week is Yud Shvat. Yud Shvat, the 10th of Shvat, is going to be the 72nd anniversary from Tavshin Yud, when the Friedrich Rebbe is Istalkus. And the Rebbe of the seventh Rebbe, our seventh, our seventh Rebbe of the seventh generation, our Rebbe, assuming leadership. Formally, a year later, when the Rebbe said Basilegani Tovshin Yura Aleph, 71 years ago, but Uba Hashemesh, Bezorach Hashemesh, the sun sets, the sun rises, and on Yud Shvat Tovshin Yud, 72 years ago this week. The Stalkus of the Friedrich Rebbe, the sixth generation, and the ascension of the Rebbe to the Messias and leadership. So appropriate to speak about. Siddhis applied to Yuchvat. And here, too, quite a few questions have come in. So I'll address that, as well as some other issues as time allows. And then I will do a part two, or you can say a follow up to the issues, the sadder issues that we've been discussing what we can do about it, and the different um, responses and reactions, and above all, focusing on action, what we should and could do. So, to get straight to Yud Shvat, the first and obvious question is, what is the significance of the day and its lessons to us? Chassidus applied, always the lesson, the personal lesson. So every year, Yud Shvat, there'd be a fabrengen, where the Rebbe would honor the Friedrich Rebbe's Yorzeit Istalkus, Silula, and he marked it especially with the Maimer Bosilegani, a Rebbe, the Rebbe's form of expression, formal expression as a Rebbe, is the saying and delivery of a discourse, a Hasidic discourse. The Friedrich Rebbe's last discourse, which he didn't deliver, because at that point the Friedrich Rebbe wasn't speaking and fabrenging, but rather in, it was a published kuntus that came out for that Shabbos Pasha Boy Yuchvat, which would sadly become the day of the Yorzeit de Stalkus, it was a Shabbos, it was the Maimer Bosilegani. It was the first of four sections, which enco- encompasses totally 20 chapters, made up of four discourses, that would then subsequently be published in the weeks afterwards. But, but the beginning of it is Bosilegani Achesi Kalo. That was the Maimer that was studied that Shabbos, Pasha Boy, Tovshin Yud, 72 years ago. We're now in Tovshin Pei Beis. So the year later, the year afterwards, 
when the Rebbe suddenly in the middle of the Yudshvat Fabrengen for the first Tehlul, the first, first yard site, the Rebbe began Bosilegani, which was a common, which was customary because the Friedrich Rebbe also began his first discourse, was the last discourse of his father, the Rebbe Rashab, Beis Nissen, Deshes Goyim Amolik. And the same with the Rebbe Marash, Kesu Yitna Lucha, was the last maimer from the Rebbe Marash and the first of the Rebbe Rashab. So the Rebbe began Bosilegani and summing up the maimer, but no one knew what would happen the next year. Next year was Yud Shvat Tovshin Yud Beis. So Tovshin Yud Beis, the Rebbe began saying that last year we, we began the Maimah Bosiligani, since there are 20 chapters. So every, this year we're going to review chapter 2. So Tovshin Yud Beis, the Rebbe reviewed and summarized and added and ex- analyzed and explained in his Maimah, Pedic Beis of Bosiligani. And so it went. Tovshin Yud Gimel, Pedic Gimel, Tovshin Yud Dalet, Pedic Dalet. So each year took one chapter. In 1953 was chapter three. 1954 was chapter. 1952 I said was chapter two. 1953 was chapter three. 1954 chapter four, and so it went. Now nobody knew what's going to happen when it gets to 1970. Of course, was chapter 20. Tov Shlamet. What about Tov Shlamet Aleph? So the Rebbe began a second cycle. Began again from chapter one and went through. Till chapter 18, the last Maimer we have a Bosilgan is a Tovshim Amches Maimer from the year 1988. So he went a second cycle, but till chapter 18. So the custom has remained, of course, that every year Yudshvat in that cycle we continue. So now this year corresponds to chapter 12. As it was in, 19, in Tovshim Chav Beis, which was 1962, and in Tovshim Mem Beis, which was in 1982. So we have from the Rebbe, in addition to the chapter, which is part of the whole Hemshech of Basilegani, we have the Rebbe's Maimer on it, which in which is custom was always to cite from all the Rabbeim, from the Baal Shem Tov and on, and some years also that Izal, and later years also from his father, the Rebbe's father. So in addition to a profound analysis of the chapter, it was also including and encompassing all the Rabbeim. So you can imagine that this stands out as a tremendous way of honoring Yutzvat, because the Maimer Basilegani, being that Hashgacha Pratis, and this is the Rebbe's words, divine providence, that this was the last Maimer delivered, the, published in honor of Yutzvat. So clearly within it, it carries the entire mission of our generation, as the Rebbe put it. And that first Basilegani in 1951, Tavshin Yud 71 years ago, the Rebbe actually said that we see right in the beginning of the Maimon. When he talks about the seven generations, so he says, Kol chavivin. the seventh generation is pre- precious, and we are now the seventh generation from the Alter Rebbe. And our Aveda is the, es- the essence of the theme of the Maimon of Basilegani, that what? To bring the Shechina down below and make Nadir B'tachtenim, as the beginning of the Maimon begins, it doesn't say doesn't say Lagan to the garden, but Gani, my garden. What is the emphasis? Gnuni, my bridal chamber, the place where I connect like a bride and a groom in a marriage with my people. And what is that referring to? That the beginning of creation, Ganadin, was essentially the place Ikashkina Bitakhtani Maisa. The Shekhinah was here down below on this earth. 
And when Odom and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, the Shekhinah was nostalgic, concealed, removed, so to speak, to, to the seventh heaven. And then from there to the sixth heaven to the, due to the next generation of transgressions. And so it went for seven generations, upward, concealed more and more. And then Avram Avinu began to reverse the process. And he brought the Shekhinah back from seven to six. I said the seventh, I didn't mean the seventh, I meant to the first Rikiah, to the first heaven, then to the second, to the third, all the way to the seventh. And Avram reversed the process from the seventh to the sixth, and the sixth to the fifth, to the, each generation, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Levi, Kohos, all the way to Moshe Rabbeinu, the seventh generation, where he returned the Shekhinah back to the way it was in the beginning of creation, through Matan Teirah and the Mishkan, and this lays out the central theme of Hemshel Bosalagani, of, uh, the 20 chapters that I mentioned, where he develops this idea the purpose is to transform this world and make it a dira a home for the divine in this physical world. And just as Moshe Rabbeinu was the seventh generation from Avram Avinu, from Abraham, to do it then, and then it wasn't permanent. Then still came another few thousand years that were still in Golos. So now we are the seventh generation from the Alter Rebbe. And our job is to finish the process and finally bring the Gula Amitis of with the third temple, the permanent base Amitis, Migdash Ein So, And each chapter of this Hemshech talks about another aspect of this theme. But the Rebbe turned it into the central theme and central, you can say, mission of our generation, of our of our time. So this Maimon remains, stands out and shines forth as a, a cornerstone of the entire leadership of the Rebbe. Being that we are doing Chesidus applied, so Chesidus applied above all is what is the central mission of our time. So of course it's clearly appropriate after this introduction to discuss what is the theme in general of the Hemshech and specifically chapter 12. So the first question is, what is the primary chiddush contribution or innovation in this year's chapter 12 of Bosa Ligani? And what does the Rebbe add in his Maimarim 5722, Tavshin Chav Beis, and 5742, Tavshin Mem Beis, 1962 and 1982 respectively? So let's talk about that because each, as I said, each year has its particular theme. The central theme is clearly the idea of how we transform this world into a home for the divine. As he explains in the first chapters, that we do that just as we, 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 we emulate what was done in the Mishkan. That we take ase shittim emdim. Shittim is what? He explains from the word shtus, insanity or absurdity of the negative sort, things that are below, that are sub-rational, or irrational, and we transform them into a super-rational shtus de gedusha. Taking the shtus of the animal soul, the animal soul and its temptations. When you think about it, it doesn't have rational basis. It's just a temptation. It's a uh, desire that seduces us. And instead of just subduing it, we transform it into a passionate commitment that is super-rational in holiness. And he goes through the details of that throughout the first chapters. When he concludes the first 10 chapters, then he says, so now, how do we get to this point? What strength do we get 
in order to achieve this objective. And he goes through the details of transforming the, the falsity, the deception of this world, the sheker of this world, to kroshim, keresh, is the beams, the pillars that were that held up the Mishkan, which is also part of what we learned from the Mishkan, v'shachanti b'seicham. So especially in the seventh generation, we're emulating what was done in the seventh generation of Meshur Rabbeinu. So then he says, so where do we have the strength to fight this battle? Because it's a battle. It's not a neutral situation. This world is a hostile world. It's a world that initially is full of the, the, this duplicity and deception. And all kinds of things that are, not, that are irrational behavior based on selfishness and narcissism and all that comes with that. So where do we have the strength? So he says the Jewish people are called Sivas Hashem, the army of Hashem. And like an army, they are given power by their commander-in-chief. That during a battle and during a war, in order to achieve victory, the king will open up his hiddenmost treasures. He'll actually splurge them. Bizbuza Eitzes. That which he has always kept undercover in secret. That nobody ever saw. The treasures that were gathered for his, from his generation and his parents and grandparents, using the analogy of a king, but when it comes to victory, not just victory says, not a victory just to conquer land or for any purpose. Just the mere fact to win this battle against an enemy, so the deepest treasures are revealed. And that's called the Oitzer. So in chapter 12, he starts discussing and explaining, after chapter 11, explaining that what an Oitzer is, coming from the innermost resources that are always concealed, what is it in Ruchnis, the spiritual energy that we receive and that's the theme of chapter 12. Not just chapter 12, this begins a series of chapters that will go all the way till the end of the discourse, which is chapter 20. But the next chapters, 12, 13, 14, and then especially comes back to it in chapter 17, what is this Eitzer? What is the secret treasure that we receive? So he begins by bringing a Tekunei Zayar about Eirein Sof, that the infinite divine light, which is the tool, the instrument, the channel through which God created existence, is Eirein Sof, is Lamayla Mayla Aden Ketz, Aden Ketz, or Lamata Mata Aden Tachlis. It goes up, up, without limit, and down, down, without end. And explains what is the difference, what are the two different dimensions here. And as the Rebbe explains in his Maimer, which I'm going to sum up briefly, is that why is he bringing both these sides? Because the Eitzer, he's going to come back in chapter 17 to explain that this treasure that we're talking about is Lamai Lamada Aden Ketz. Something that is so deeply concealed, it's fundamentally concealed. Not just concealed relative to a revelation. You know, you can have something that's concealed that you don't access right now. Like he gives the example there of a teacher. So the teacher is teaching an idea. The student right now accesses what he accesses, but there's a lot more to be accessed. And like the Gemara says, by 40 years, he can reach at So that is, even though it's concealed right now, but it's not fundamentally concealed. Then there's a Helen Be'etzem, that fundamentally, that's the Eitzer that he reveals. But in order to understand, he begins with and what does he briefly say in chapter 12 of Friedrich Rebbe? That this is referring to Eirein Sof, that goes downward, meaning throughout the entire Ishtalshlus, and Eirein Sof, it's Ein Sof, 
So it reflects, not on its own, it reflects because it is a reflection, it is completely bottled and completely sublimated, subjugated to its source. So it reflects the power of the source, the infinite power of the source. And in turn, transfers that infinity, that bleak vul, that unlimitedness to all of creation. So even after the tzimtzum, and the tzimtzum does conceal and creates that the energy should flow in a defined way, but that's due to the tzimtzum. On its own, that Erein Sof always remains fundamentally bleak vul. So even as it comes down, all the way down below, it always continues the power of bleak vul. And the Rebbe in his Tumai Mardim, and I'll sum up the main points in both of them, emphasizes and elaborates on this and says the Erein Sof that we're talking about is not just revealing the Ein Sof, the infinity of the divine, but even furthermore, what he says, that only God, only Atmos has the power to create the Yesh, because the Yesh doesn't have any sense of feeling a source. Oyer can't do that. Oyer feels its source. How could it create something that has no source, or it doesn't feel its source? It may understand that it has a source. We understand that. But in our Hergish, our feeling, she says, only Atmos, he has no cause himself, he's able to infuse that into the yesh. But that too travels through the Ur, as he explains in the Geras because everything comes through Ur. The creative process has to come through an Ur and Gilui. So Ur carries not just the Ein Sof of the Divine, but even the Ein Tchilo, even the aspect of the Divine that is never attributed to Ur. Ur, you can say, Ur has Ein Sof because since it's a reflection of Ein Sof, so it's also Ein Sof. But ain't chila, you don't say that on Ur, because Ur does have a chila, it has a source. Who's the source? Atmos. However, the chidush and the Geras is that due to its bitl, due to it being Ur of, the, of Atmos, therefore it carries even that power of creating. It goes through the containers because it has to create a gvul for creation. That the creation shouldn't just have the sense that it has no source but also an actually defined entity, and that comes through the Kalim. Because as we said, the Eir itself is Ein Sof. So the Kalim created the Gvul, but the Eir, the Eir carries the power of Atmos. And that Eir that comes also carries that aspect of Atmos. That's one of the main Chidushim in the Rebbe in Tavshin Chav Beis. In Tavshin Membeis, the Rebbe takes a step further. And he says the following, that not only does the Ur, the Ein Sof Ur, the infinite energy go all the way down below, but as it goes below, something is added to it more than its own Ein Sof. And what is that? The Koyach Atzmus, the Ur Atzmus itself. Because that's the purpose of creation, is that it should come down below. So it's coming below actually also increases and adds a new thing to the Ur that the Ur doesn't have on its own. So in addition to the first point in Tov Shechavbez, that the Ur carries the power of Atmos, now we're also talking about the element of Atmos that the Yesh, Tafke the Tachtenim, add. As he explains there, the name, I love Alel Midesov, which the Alter Rebbe says is Bapashtus talking about Atmos. Mili B'Shemayim Imcha Lechafatzti, 
atzmus. That dafke below you reach atzmus because that's the kavana. In the higher worlds, like he says in Tanya chapter 36, So they are ultimately a descent from higher up. It's dafke atzmus, it's dafke in tachtenim. That's the dira betachten. So when you combine chavbeis and membeis, both my marim, you see here the emphasis on not just that Eir is bligvul and ein sof, but also the element that comes from the power of atzmus itself. The Rebbe actually emphasizes in Tavshin Chavbeis a diuk, an interesting diuk, and I get a sakedish where he talks about that there's the Eir ein sof and there's the koyecha ein sof. So he says he uses the word koyecha ein sof is in yesh. Because in the yesh, in the Eir, Eir is gilui. But in the, in the yesh, it's concealed that power of atzmus. That element of in is concealed, so it's koyech ha'ensof. So when you end up looking at it, you see several different components. You have the power of atzmus, which that creates the yesh to be able to be a yesh that feels like it has no source. You have the oyer, because everything has to come through an oyer v'gili. That's how God wants it to be revealed, to reveal this power. And ultimately that the yesh should also become revealed through our veda, through our work, even though initially it's concealed. You have the kalim. The kalim actually create the definition and the parameters to have a real gvul in this world. But at the same time, the oed remains ein sof. And both elements of ein sof. The ein sof of infinity, lamata mata den but also the ein sof, or you could say the ein tchila, of the power of atzmus. So you have here all the ingredients necessary to reveal the infinite, but also the atzmus infinite, that there is nothing, there's no, the inlet chila also. How atzmus is completely, has no source, because mitzusim atzmusik. And that too ultimately is revealed through our work here below. And that's why when we do our Aveda down on this earth, in making adir betachtenim, v'shachanti b'seichem, the seventh generation, so what are we doing? We're not just reaching the levels of Eir, we're reaching all the way to the levels of Atzmus. As the Rebbe explains in, in, my, in the Maimorim that I just cited. Now, just let's translate this into Chassidus applied, into practical terms. But to do so, here comes a question, an initial question. Why is the Rebbe insisting that Eir Ein Sof, and the Maimari doesn't say Eir Ein Sof also has the Koyach Ha'atzmus that he says in the Geras HaKedosh. He only talks about Lamata Mata Adin Tachlis, that the air comes down all the way below, and even after the Tzimtzum, and even in the lowest worlds of Biyah, you also have Bleak Vul, not just Bekoyach, not just potential, but actual, as the Rebbe elaborates. Why is he insisting on adding the Entchil? And on the contrary, you could argue, you could argue, supposedly, that the Ein is actually Lamayla Mayla Aden Ketz. Because that's something that's Behelem Be'etzem. It's talking about the Helem of Elokus, not the Gilead of Elokus. That the Yesh doesn't feel its source. And that should come later when he talks about the Eitzer, which he associates with Lamayla Mayla Aden Ketz. This, of course, comes together with another question which I'll address at the end of this program. And that is the question that someone asked. Why then the Friedrich Rebbe, for Yud, chapter Yud Beis, Yud Gimel and Yud Al, three chapters, focuses all the Lamata Mata Aden Tachlis, about the Eir Habligvul, as it comes down, all the way downward, into, the, into existence. 
when the focus is Eitzer, is the treasure, is like he says later in chapter 17. I mean, chapter 15, he returns to in chapter 17, he says that's the Eitzer, the deepest concealments that are fundamentally concealed. So why is there so much elaboration? So briefly, as I said, I'll speak about it later more at length. Briefly, you have to say that Lamata Mada Aden Tachlis, as the Rebbe says in the Maimorim, and not only in chapter, not only in Tavshechov Beis, but in Tavshechov Gimel and Tavshechov Dalad, all those years, as he explained those Maimorim, he, he emphasizes that before he, in order to appreciate and understand Lamai Lamada Aden Ketz, we have to first understand Lamata Mata Aden Tachlis. In one Maimon, I believe in Tavshel Chavov, the Rebbe says an expression, or Tavshel Chavzayin, he says that first we have to see how the, Rebbe, how the, the, how the, the king, in this case the Ebrister, splurges on the Giluim of Lamata Mata Adein Tachlis. He used the word Bizbuz. And then we could understand how he also splurges the concealed dimensions. That he reveals them, only one, only in the situation when you have to fight a battle and have an enemy. So from that it appears that even though explicitly it says and if you look in the Maimer that this is based on, which is also a Maimer, a Maimer in Parsha Boy, just weeks before the Rebbe Rashabz is Talkus, well, Boy Shvat, yeah, two months actually before the Rebbe Rashabz is Talkus, so on Tafresh Pei there's a Maimer, and there clearly the Oitzer is referring to Lamai Lamala Adin Ketz. But you have to say that Lamata Madin Tachlis also helps this Avoida, because it also reveals and gives us the power of Bligvu. And this answers the initial question why the Rebbe's, why the Rebbe is emphasizing, why the Alta Rebbe is, why the Friedrich Rebbe is emphasizing Lamata Mata Adin Tachlis. Because the, the revelation of Bligvul, the revelation of Bligvul in existence is also necessary for helping us do our Aveda. In other words, in order for us to successfully do this type of Aveda in this world, we're not just getting strength from a finite place, we're getting strength from an infinite place. Basically, message being that each of us has infinite potential. Because... Eirein Sof is the channel through which God uses, the channel that God uses, through which he creates all of existence. And therefore that Ein Sof, that infinity, is within each one of us, which gives us this awesome power that no matter what we're facing, we have this bleak full power. When you know with full confidence what kind of potential you have, you fight a battle very differently. Famous example, in the good old days, they used to go to war. So there was a custom some people, some armies had that they would sing a song of victory even as they began their first march. They didn't even fight a battle. How do you know you're going to be victorious? Because it's the confidence. And you see it today, uh, I would say, Lahavdil in sports or other places, how a coach, how a leader hypes everyone up. Because when you have confidence, like he explains in chapter 26 in Tanya, the opposite. That when a person is depressed, even if you're full of strength, you get weakened and demoralized, you can't fight properly. So psychological warfare is critical here. So when you know what kind of potential you really have, and you know that you can definitely be victorious, 
it's very different than when you don't know, and then you see the enemy is very powerful. So when we have the shtus umaza of the nefesh abamis, the animal soul, and we all know, every person knows in their heart and soul the challenges that it poses and we face. But you also know that you have tremendous resources, which yes, we learn about later, that oitzer. But is also part of Eid Sof. And they both actually originate in the source in the Yecheles Ha'atzmus. Though both tracks are actually one. And one of them is what? The idea of Gilui Bligvu, a Gilui that goes all the way Lamatamata Aden Tachlis. All the way down to the lowest levels right here in this world. That gives you a whole very different confidence and a different strength and fortitude and power to battle. But the Rebbe takes it even further. In Tavshin Chavbez Maimer, he says that what? It's not just the Eirein Sof is carrying the Bligvul. It's also carrying the Eirein Sof, the infinity. It's also carrying the Atzmus of Ein Leitchila. It's also carrying that. And because it's Eir, it means that it's also coming in a Gilui. To the Nivroim, to us, we don't feel it because we feel the opposite. But the Eir is carrying it. So when we do our work and come to recognize that our very independence and individuality is coming from the power of Atmos, which Eir is carrying to us, that increases even more the power. But that's not yet. Why? Because the Ein Leitchila is higher than that. Ein Tchila is Atmos. It's not just Helema Atzmi. And some Maimorim and then I am based, Chele Gimel, and other places, talks about Atohu Havaya Levadecha. There's Atos Atzmus, and he makes it clear that's higher than Helem and Gili. Who is Helem, as we'll learn later? Who is Shmoibel Vad? That who is the Helem Atzmi that we're talking about? Lamaila Malad and Ketz. Shmoi is Havaya. That's already Gili Lamatamata Den Tachlis. So when you're talking about Eintchila, it's not a contradiction, it's also part of what's being nimshach that's drawn into the Eir Ein Sof that goes all the way down into existence. And it's carrying that power as well. And in Tav Shemembeis, it comes even more alive, the importance of that is because that's exactly what we accomplish. In addition to us getting that strength from these highest levels, we also actually draw down a level that the Eir itself doesn't have on its own. And that is the chidush that comes through our Aveda down below, where we have the power to draw down Atzmus. The Eir is drawing down Atzmus because Atzmus wants it to extend and express, and it carries, it's the channel that carries, as he explains in the Egeres HaKedosh, and therefore it carries that energy. However, through Aveda, we actually mamshech Atzmus, not just as it's carried through Eir, so Eir provides the gili part of it. And the Nevroim, the Yesh, provides the Etzim of it. And then later we're going to learn that the Etzer, which is Lamai Lamada Adan Ketz, is, is the key thing that's revealed in order for us to get to that place. Now that, briefly stated, is the concept of Helam itself has an element of describing God's inf- in infinity in concealment, the distance of the divine. Because the Eir reveals the closeness, so to speak, or reveals the expansion of the divine. The Helem is going to reveal 
the beyondness of Atzmus. And for us to really connect, we need to have both. Both the revelation as it comes in a bligvul way, that you see bligvul in everything we do, but also to remember that Atzmus is always beyond us. And that's what the Helen reveals. When, so when the, the Eitzer, the, the treasures are revealed, you have also that element of Helen. And therefore you have both, both sides of the picture. And ultimately the goal is to have Atzmus revealed in this world. So that's a brief overview and summary. And above all, the message to us, which is that we have everything we need and beyond. That you are a piece of infinity. That you are manifesting bligvul in this existence. Even though you can say, well, one second, don't we all have limits? We all have physical limits. We have to eat and sleep and drink. You can only run that fast. You can only see that far. Yes, because it Simpson created a structure. But that doesn't mean that within that structure we don't have infinity. That's the point of chapter 12. The infinite power that each of us carries. And that infinite power is only the power of Atmos, even the power that's beyond just infinite expression, going in all directions, but also that which is completely beyond expression and beyond, beyond expression. Okay. In the Basilegani Maimer, is the Friedrich Rebbe not just hinting but overtly saying Mashiach will come in the seventh generation? The answer is that it's most likely it is a hint because you see right in the parentheses where he speaks about Derashvi, so he speaks about Vecholashvi and Chaviv and he adds that all sevens are precious. And the Rebbe in the first Maimer, Bos Ligani, Tovshin Aleph, 1951, emphasized that that relates to. So you can't say it's overt. I mean, once you understand from the Rebbe that that's, rela- that's, re- that's referring to and hinting to the seventh generation, and then you see the theme of the Maimer is about, this, is about what our mission is, then obviously it becomes open. But anything like that is once you see it, it's revealed. But before, you need a Rebbe to have revealed that point to us. That's my brief, uh, brief answer. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. In the Friedrich Rebbe's amazing Basilegani Mamer, he talks about a concept called Stuz de Gdusha. Can you explain this concept and give some practical examples of how we can do this in our daily lives? Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so I, I mentioned it earlier. Let me just elaborate a bit more. Examples for Stuz de Gdusha are when we go beyond the letter of the law, when we go beyond our natural means. You know, when you, for example, in a regular daily routine, we, we exert a certain amount of energy in the things we do. Let's take an example, taking care of your family. But let's say there's a crisis, God forbid, a challenge. So then you have to dig deeper and you go more than just the regular. You could say, one second, why should I lose sleep at night? Why should I do anything more? I'll just st- stick to my regular. No, because a challenge brings that out. Like we said before, midas hanetzachen. When there's a battle, when there's an ad, 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 there's adversity, there's an adversary, then you dig deeper. And when you love something, you do whatever it takes. Now someone will say, why aren't you just being rational and just go with a plan? No, because now is a time of battle and war. There's a sense of urgency. And Shduz de Gdusha, therefore, is the element of going beyond the regular. Not just with all your heart and all your soul and all your faculties, with all your might, with all your all. 
And you do that when it's necessary. In general, the, the Friedrich Rebbe says that another Maimur, the Pesach Maimon of Tov Shintes, a year earlier, that in our generation, what is required is Netzach. Netzach and Hoyd, he talks about. Midas HaNetzachim. Even if we don't fully understand the reasoning, and we don't necessarily feel all the emotions, but soldiers, we're soldiers on the front line. There's a battle to be fought. The battle against assimilation, the battle against apathy and complacency. So even though you could say, I don't fully always appreciate and understand it all, means you go beyond Seichel and Tamvadas. Shtus de Gdusha means a healthy form of super rational, a holy form of insanity, holy insanity, but insanity here in the positive way, not just what logic dictates, but beyond logic, which is what we do when we really are, are, are challenged. So in a way, that's connected, Shtus de Gdusha, to the Midas HaNetzachan that he speaks about later, that we've been discussing. Where you, where you reveal the oitzer, the neshama reveals all its inner resources and is given all the strengths from above, the hidden resources from above, all to elicit this stus de kedusha. So the interesting thing is that the irrationality of the, of the adversary, of the animal soul, and look around in the world today, the absurdity, the craziness, the insanity, not the holy insanity, unholy. So it's not enough just to respond in a rational way, you have to go to the other extreme. You respond with craziness, with healthy craziness, so to speak. So that's, that's the idea, madness, holy madness. So in times, of regular times, you could say you respond with regular means. But when things are going out of the regular, you have to respond in also out of the regular fashion. And we all are capable of doing it when we're pushed. We see that. We see how people are capable. In simple terms, it means that if you get regular studying Torah every day, or davening and tzedakah, you should increase more than what is comfortable for you. Get out of your comfort zone. When you get out of your comfort zone, you in turn elicit and generate energy that's outside of the, the say the Shtalshla's comfort zone, the comfort zone of the cosmic order. And the blessings also come in a way of adli die without limit, when you do things that are beyond your limit. Beyond your middle, I said, that which is beyond your comfort zone, your regular routine. Okay. Remember in Tavshin Lamed Gimel, Lamed Dalad, in 1974, when the Rebbe first spoke about mitzvah tanks. So the Rebbe speaking about people saying a tank seems like a, somewhat of a wild thing. You know, you go into the streets of Manhattan or other places and play music stand on corners and ask people if they're Jewish, put on film, light candles, etc. And the Rebbe said, a tank, what does a tank do? A tank comes and breaks down barriers and boundaries and limits. Before you actually enter, a tank comes first and breaks down all the boundaries and all the limitations. And, when the, and, it, and in, 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 what's the words? In crazy times, you need crazy measures. He didn't use the word crazy. But it's the same idea, that in wild times you need wild measures. So when things need, have these all types of different blockages that people have, sometimes you need to do something to break through. Yet another example. 
Did the Friedrich Rebbe ever say or indicate that he prefer that that did the Friedrich Rebbe ever indicate who should be his successor? So someone writes that he preferred the Ramash, which was the, the, the acronym for the Rebbe's name, to take over the leadership. We don't know of any official document or any official record of Friedrich Rebbe preferring. I mean, for here and there, rumors of this and that, but I've never seen anything corroborated. But remember, a Rebbe is ultimately the Rebbe chooses. It's not just up to elections. It's clear who becomes a Rebbe, the people, and the people recognize who the Rebbe is. And that's how we have to look at it in that fashion. They say that the Rebbeim, you see, was like alternated. Like the Mittler Rebbe, it was very clear that he would be the Mamal Mokam of the Alter Rebbe. That was stated clearly. The Tzemech Tzedek was not clear, and they had to bring a Remez from Isham Azraz Tchila. Tzemech Tzedek regarding the Rebbe Marash or a Tzavo, the Rebbe Marash should be the next Rebbe. The Rebbe Marash did not leave a direct instruction the Rebbe Rashab should be. That again, the Chassidim recognized it. The Rebbe Rashab, Friedrich Rebbe, was very clear, the only son. And the Friedrich Rebbe and the Rebbe, again, it wasn't necessarily stated explicitly. But, as I said, everything's from Shemayim, and that's how it works. Yud Shvat is a sad day because the Friedrich Rebbe passed away, but it's also a happy day because the Rebbe accepted the Nesiyas a year later. What was going on in the community during that year until the Rebbe officially accepted the leadership? Were there fringe groups trying to install their own people into the Nesiyas? Was it widely known that the Rebbe would ultimately accept the Nesiyas and everyone just waited patiently until he decided it was, right, it was the right time to do so? So I was not there, but I did hear from people. It was very clear to the Chassidim that the Rebbe was the one. And not to take away from the Rashag, but the Rebbe is one. There's a Rebbe and he was recognized. Whether the people had questions, first of all, many people didn't know the Rebbe. Then there were no technology like today. So I'm sure a lot of different things going on all over the world. But it became very obvious and very clear that was the Rebbe. And then it became unanimous that everyone accepted the Rebbe, the Rashag as well, as we see. So that's the bottom line. As far as political elements and stuff like that, it's not a time to discuss right now, especially before your Shvat. There'll be a time to discuss it. But the key thing to remember is not to focus on anything that may have been of a doubt by anybody, but rather the fact is that the Rebbe was the Rebbe. As I said, was clearly seen by most. And even the few that didn't recognize it yet came to recognize it in time. Okay. What is your favorite mimer, Rabbi Jacobson, of the Friedrich Rebbe? And can you please give us a brief synopsis? Thank you. Well, Reminds me, the Rebbe would say by Fabrengens often, he would speak about he said, the question the Rebbe asked very many times. He said uh, that when you learn the Maimonim of Pesach, you learn how Pesach is the greatest holiday, greater than Shavuos and greater than Sukkot. When you learn the Maimonim of Shavuos, you, heard, you hear how that's the greatest, greater than Pesach and Sukkot. You learn the Maimonim of Sukkot, you hear how that's the greatest. And the Rebbe explains, Mitzvah da Havazoyer Beitvei. When it comes to that day or that holiday, that's the shar, the gate through which all other mitzvahs and all other holidays elevate. So that becomes the favorite because that's the hamshacha at that time. So it's not a contradiction. It's not some academic exercise. That's the hamshacha and Pesach is Pesach and Shavuot. Since it's Yud Shvat, the favorite maimed, my favorite maimed is Basilegani, obviously. There may be other times you learn something that's a different maimed. 
That's how I approach it. And Basiligani, and I shared already some thoughts on it, and that's what we should be focusing on, especially chapter 12 of Basiligani. Okay. Many other questions came in, but I'll reserve that either for follow-up or at another time. A few other questions before we do some follow-up to last week's program. Shevavim. What is Shevavim, and is it our community's custom to participate and do something? So yes, there's a concept called Shevavim Tat, sometimes, which is actually an acronym. Shevavim is an acronym for Shmois, Va'era, Boy, Bishalach, Yisrei, Mishpatim. That's Shevavim. And in the leap year, or in a regular year, you add Tat, which is Truma and Tetzava. A time of special tshuva, it's brought in different svarim, Kabbalah, especially. And there's actually a siches, Shmois Tavshin Memtes, where in a footnote, the Rebbe says that Chassidus Chabad, it's not brought. And even when it's brought, it's not brought as a fast day. And specifically because, especially Chabad, as the Alter Rebbe emphasizes in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, that today we don't focus on fasting. So the concept is a real concept, obviously. It comes from holy books and legitimate authorities and, sfari, and, sfari, and, and sources. However, in Chabad, it's not accustomed to actually fast or other activities. But the idea, of course, exists. So that's the bottom line. Essentially, it's a time for introspection. You have in Shalah, he explains it, that these parshas, especially the parshas that focus on Golas Mitzrayim and then Geula for Mitzrayim, that these weeks is a time of special emphasis on tshuva, and return. So the concept exists, but not special focus, particularly in Chabad. You can look up more on Shmois Sikh of Shabbos Pasha, Shmois Tovshin Mem Tes. Okay. Shvat. Did the Rebbe once say the month of Shvat is Rosh Tevis, an acronym? Shanishma Psudis Tevis. Shvat, Shanishma Psudis Tevis. Does it mean that this is, this, this is a month with an energy for good news? What can we do on a practical level to tap into this energy and receive and spread good news? Thank you, and may you always have good news to share, especially the best good news, which is that Mashiach has arrived. Amen. I don't recall the Rebbe saying it, but my not recollection doesn't mean that the Rebbe did not. If anyone does have information on this, please share it with me, and I will share it with uh, the public. But regardless, it's a nice Rosh uh, Tevis, and it's exactly what we all hope for, Psudas Tevis. Which leads me to the good segue to the next topic, which is staying positive amidst COVID. Yes, COVID is still with us. Long after we thought it, would, it was gone. How do we stay positive amongst the new COVID variant and today's non-ending challenges? Will we ever be ourselves? Meaning, will we get back to how things were back a while back? Well, let me say this. Another question before I continue. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I hope you are well. I have many questions, but I'll start with a few. I'm feeling really helpless as the mandates toughen on COVID-19 and vaccination. So many things here look too similar to the beginning of a, I don't want to repeat this word, Holocaust, like the vaccine cars, segregation, taking away people's freedoms. As a mother of a young family, this frightens me very much. And I worry for my family and all people. Is there any truth to the pattern I'm seeing and how do we prepare, fight, handle if that's what's coming? About the end 
of day prophecies. Christians believe in the book of Revelation and claim that they are seeing these prophecies unfold right now, with a vaccination being called the mark of the beast. Christianity is an offshoot from Judaism. How much truth is there to, the, to these end-of-day prophecies? And what would be the Judaic response to all things occurring right now with COVID vaccines and mandates? Three, why was the book of Hanukkah not included in the Tanakh? And is there any value for us in learning it? Four, recently there was an eight-hour testimony from various experts for rabbis regarding the dangers of getting vaccinated for COVID. Have you listened to the testimony? And what would be your thoughts regarding the data that they brought versus Fauci and the CDC? How do we handle all the mandates that are affecting our health schools and businesses? Should we be moving our communities to Republican states where there is still more freedom? I really want Mashiach to come, but I'm also so frightened of how it will happen and the people who may get hurt on the way. How can we ensure that Mashiach will come now and handle the uncertainty of it all? Thanks in advance. I'm looking forward to your response. Hopefully Mashiach will come today and answer all the questions everyone has before your next program. Well, as I've said many times, and I take the, take the cue from the Rebbe himself, this attitude of panicking and frightening and fear, even though I understand where some people comes from, is completely not the derech of Teda, the approach of Teda or Chassidus at all. You know, I'm not going to get into, I've discussed this many times. We have a Teda, Tomim Tim Hashem Alekecha. You have a doubt or a question, ask a Rav, ask a doctor, find someone you trust. All the conspiracy theories out there. I mean, look, they said this already two years ago, that, uh, that, that this is the beginning of some type of segregation and taking away people's freedoms. And there's people who still feel that way. I don't know, my freedom has not been impeded in any way. What can I tell you? And if you feel that it's been impeded, so go talk to Mashpia or to Rav or to Chosid and figure out how to... Uh, study Teda, learn Chosidus and become free. In any way, it's impeding how you educate yourself, your children, your family, how much Yiddishkeit you want to, how, how, how much Yiddishkeit you want to live by, and spreading Torah and Chassidus. I don't see any limits that a person can do whatever they wish. As far as mandates and so on, look, there are different opinions. I'm not going to get into that now. If you feel somewhat that you don't agree with a certain mandate, well, if there's a legal element to it, deal with that. And if there isn't, figure out what to do. But I don't see any reason to be frightened. And these Judaism is not Christianity. We don't believe in an apocalypse, especially in the Rebbe's words. We went through already all the difficult apocalypses. Right now, the ghoul is upon us. And our job is to think positive and to do whatever we can to spread Yiddishkeit and light and so on. This fear-mongering is so hepechateira. What does it do at the end of the day? It creates negative energy. People talk negatively. I hear it. People tell me. Why don't you get up and make a protest? It's not the issue. The issue is the approach that we have to take. Spread light. Spread Yiddishkeit. Spread godliness. And if there's a specific thing, deal with it. What are we doing to our children and to our communities when we create this type of fear, fearful environment? So... I completely disagree with this approach, unequivocally. It, you hear from the Rebbe, the Rebbe never ever spoke in this fashion, no matter what happened. Even in the most difficult things going on, was always how we can make it better. 
And that's what I have to say on this topic. Okay. So with the remaining time, I'm going to address some follow-up. And uh, let's see how far I can get with the time that we have. So the title we had last week is what attitude, what approach should we take to the, what should we take, should we have to the recent tragedy of the disgraced author accused of serial abuse? And the focus I did last week was I really broke it down into a bunch of different subtopics. With the main focus and emphasis is obviously we have to do everything with zero tolerance, eradicate this cancer once and for all. But above all, create a new revolution of holy intimacy of educating ourselves, our children, our schools, our educators, our rabbis. That we should bring up a generation that not only destroys and eradicates this cancer, but introduces a whole new unprecedented way of looking at intimacy. And Bamela, and automatically that will preempt. Now, I'm not naive. I understand we need to also have police and we need there are criminals, there are predators. So we have to address that. We discussed it. But the main focus has to be also the second side. Can't just, uh, just, because that gives us also strength and confidence that we can do it. So as I said before, many, many responses. Let me read a few of them. Teaching Yeshiva Bokram about holy intimacy. I listened to your My Life episode 386, Abuse, Betrayal, and Protecting Our Children, addressing the recent horrific scandal. I thought your idea of teaching young people about holy intimacy was spot on. I wanted to add a point when, a, to add a point when I was in a well-known Chabad yeshiva, which will remain unnamed currently. Many, many bochim, unfortunately, were saw pornography. There was zero teaching in yeshiva about holy intimacy. What to do about the hormones raging through our bodies, and how to deal with sexuality. It was definitely a missed opportunity by the yeshiva. My sons have gone to non-Labavish yeshiva high schools. Both of them in different yeshiva high schools had long classes with their abonim in yeshiva about sexuality, puberty, intimacy, and so on. And were told by their teachers and abonim that there was an absolute open door to discuss their challenges without any judgment. Maybe since things have changed, but what is being done in our yeshiva system to teach about holy intimacy? So I read the letter as is because this is your personal experience and, uh, and therefore it's a legitimate one. But I have to tell you that first of all, Many, many Chabad yeshivas have also an approach where everything is open, can be discussed. And many non-Chabad yeshivas, frankly, the opposite. So I don't think this is a Chabad and non-Chabad thing. This is across the board. Everyone, we could all use improvement and growth until we completely eliminate it. And on the other hand, completely teach our children the right approach. And that's the whole purpose of our conversation. So my, my response is one across the board. We have to put our heads together and come up with different suggestions and ideas of both education of our children, different ages, different ways of communicating with each age, how educators should speak, all in a modest way, an appropriate way. And yes, how every child should have an open door of trust and know they can come and speak about anything without being judged and definitely not without being blamed. And all of us are part of this. Rabbis, leaders, teachers, parents, educators, community leaders, everyone. Because if anyone is not part of it, 
They can undermine this whole approach. And that's what we need to do. It has to be a, unila- a unilateral, a unanimous approach that completely consumes all of us in every possible community. Now, we don't, we, you can't always begin by doing it all. So we begin wherever we can begin, any school. I just had conversations just today and this past week with many people who heard the program and are thinking of ideas and putting our heads together. What can we do? They had ideas. I had ideas. I'm sure all of us can have ideas. Let's pull, pull them together. But don't stand on the sidelines. It's all, it's a, it's, the problem is all of our problems. It's a collective problem for all of us. That's how a community deals with things. And when we push it, we will create change. Okay. Good evening, Rabbi Jacobson. I listened to your talk from this past week where you answered questions you were asked regarding the scandal, for lack of a better term. I have direct questions I would love for you to answer as I felt. Sorry if what I will say comes across as offensive. That is, in no, that, that is in no way my intent. As I felt that you avoided answering pivotal questions directly, particularly the questions I and others want direct, upfront answers to. Okay, let's see what you have to say. Should people stop shaming, speaking, posting, speaking about this individual? Whilst you said shaming is not a Torah approach, you then qualify that if you know someone has been accused of something, you don't let them roam free. I felt the latter part is irrelevant and detracts from the issue which needs addressing. Can, should the public speak about him? You mentioned the halacha of a redith, yes, someone running, someone who's in a direct effort, someone who's a danger, as part of the above answer, but he is dead, and therefore no one needs saving from him. He doesn't pose a risk. And if the risk is what others may do in the future, then what should be the topic and, lear- and learnings? And speaking about this individual should be, not, should be prohibited. So what is the Allah and therefore your guidance on the issue? Well, let me respond to this first of all. I think I addressed it very directly, to be very honest. I mean, every nuance, you can't cover every detail. But the point that I made was very clearly. To just shame someone for no particular purpose because we like to gossip is obviously not a Torah approach. But at the same time, if a person is a direct danger, you don't say, I'm going to yell and talk about it because it may shame him. First, you have to stop the danger. You have to get people at risk out of the way. It wasn't particularly right now. Regarding right now, the focus should be not about shaming him. It's about exposing others and not allowing the precedent of so-called adulating him or or idolizing him or deifying him, whatever the word is, to open up a door of cover-up. So obviously he himself, he took his life, and now he's going to deal with Hashem. There's no, no, we don't have to go around now shaming him as an individual. But we have to shame his behavior and make sure that nobody else who's lurking out there continues perpetrating such evil crimes. And this is not even passing judgment whether he's guilty or not. As I said, that is right now up to God. But the assumption that somebody can hurt people and there are real accusers has to be taken seriously as well. So I'm not sure what the issue is here. Based on this, yes, I do not believe that we should now just going around shaming. 
As far as his books go, we spoke about that as well. Another question this person writes, connected to the above but slightly different. If this individual is guilty or not, and how does that impact how we treat his memory? Is, is he guilty or not, and how does that impact how we treat his memory? You mentioned it as alleged. So if it is not confirmed through the Torah approach, psagged him from a full bezin, then should we stop talking as if he's guilty? Yes, this may offend survivors, but emotions of survivors or the general public doesn't necessarily trump halacha. If in fact halacha says you can't speak about him in terms of guilty. So again, I don't think we have to personalize. Forget about his guilt. There are people who accuse him of this. If you really want to go find out, go talk to those people. Talk to the bezin that they're dealing with. And so on. Even then, it's not our job to pass judgment. But he's being accused. But we're talking about the crime is a guilty one. Who, regardless who did it. I think we have to distinguish, and that's what I spoke about at length, distinguishing between the person and the crime. The crime for sure we all agree is abhorrent. Whether he actually did it or not, that has to be determined. And now it's going to be determined in Bezdin in heaven. Bezdin Shemaila. But, but since Hashgach and this has now come to the surface... The crime for sure is a guilty one. And since unfortunately he may have done it and there are others that have and there are others even right now that may be possibly hurting someone, God forbid, of course we have to have a tremendous outcry about it to prevent and to produce a far better approach that preempts as I discussed earlier. So I think this dwelling on an individual is distracting from the focus here. Even criminal, even the even the victims of this of a criminal, even though they may want revenge and they have are angry and they would like to shame him, but the goal is not about shaming him. The goal is to protect them, help them heal. And if someone comes to me, as much as they, I, I will I will definitely acknowledge and validate their anger. But you want to heal, that's the focus. So why are we talking about how we help them heal? That I don't understand from your questions. If I may. In turn, be candid. Three, would you remove his books in your home? You, yes, you mentioned it is too raw to discuss now, but people want guidance, driven by Allah and Torah Ashkafa. Should they remove the books or not? For some reason, I keep feeling that you didn't fully hear what I said or you didn't want to hear. I spoke about it directly. I didn't just say it's too raw. I said right now, the issue is clearly his books can be offensive to people. And if a person feels that's offensive to them, they should definitely remove it. Should I make a rule now that everybody should remove it? You asked me, I would say yes. Because the crimes are so abhorrent and it's associated with this author. And he's writing about children and protecting children. And your children will grow up and say, what did you do? You gave me these books and then I find out this? I think that could be far more damaging. So that was my answer. I didn't just say it's true. I said, conceptually, comes a time where it doesn't offend anyone, doesn't hurt anyone. That's another story, so then it could be looked at. But I also made it clear, his, his books are not Teresh HaBiksav and Teresh It's not like a must. If it didn't exist, it would also have been fine. He may have helped some people, but right now the books have become toxic in that sense. So I'm not sure why you didn't hear all of that. But since you and others may have whatever reason, and I feel I know the reason because I think there's a lot of emotions here. And maybe you don't like an approach that's more balanced. You want to be black and white. Well, some things are not black and white. Even though what I believe I'm saying is absolutely clear and very direct. And if you need a psak, go to a rabbi. I'm sure you have a rav. Ask him. 
if you really need a psak din. I'm not paskining anything here. I'm speaking the approach to it, the hashkof of it, the, 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 the attitude we should have, the approach. I strongly agree with your approach that productivity needs to be the outcome of this event. Awareness and action, that should be the focus. And I add, helping anyone who's been hurt, in this case or in any case, that's above all. That's how you heal. But why did you single out Rabbonim as the only people you spoke down on? Yes, they hold a high position and need to carry the burden of such a serious issue in society. But so does the public. There are individuals who have spread so much negativity through Lashon Hara and Moetzi Shemra. Should they not receive equal and direct rebuke? I hope that the above is received in good light. I'm only seeking clarity on issues I feel need addressing. Kind regards. Well, I don't believe I focused on any individual, even though leaders should always be the first people you speak to because they're in a position of leadership. That's what we look to. And if they fail, that's the worst. And of course the public, I keep saying it. It's, it's our joint effort, the whole community. As a matter of fact, the public can also impact the Rabbonim and the leaders. So that was the, the just of it. About Lashon Hora and Shemra, I'm not sure what you're talking about here. If you're talking about Lashon Hora and Shemra, about Aredif, about murder, about soul murder, then as I said, that doesn't apply. And in general, that's not the focus about speaking negatively. It's about helping us all grow, protecting the children, protecting adults, and teaching us what is a healthy and holy intimacy. Okay. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I just watched your video addressing the parsha of the writer in Israel, etc. I watched it in a few installments because of its length, and I want to say thank you. It hurt me and confused me that there was seemingly no voice from our leaders and rabbis, Rabbonim and Mashpim, on how to process and progress the story and the issues that it brought up, at least at first. Also in Israel, where I live. So my thank you to you for starting to fill that crucial void. I want to make a few points that I think were not addressed in the video that are connected to various aspects of how we deal with perpetrators and victims. There's a, there's a individual, he's a psychologist in a city here in Israel who runs an organization to treat abused people and ultimately to, file child ab- to fight child abuse specifically in Haredi communities. He spoke recently about his experience with this specific case, he said that they started treating victims from this case six years ago. I'm being asked why it was not revealed until now. He responded that the writer paid them large amounts of money, hundreds of thousands of shkolim, or more paid in monthly payments. He also wrote in the past about the various systems in place in communities to specifically help perpetrators and community covered honor. My point is that there can be cases, I hope seldom, but I'm not convinced that that is true, where the victim does not want to come forward and also warn the public, not because of an inner struggle that they are facing, such as embarrassment, lack of trust, guilt. There can also even be cases where they did come forward and were, and, and were accepted, accepted, and it was addressed as a big deal. However, because of the, of the kalim and manipulations of the perpetrator and or the community on them, Kalim, Kalim, probably pressure. And their family that they were not able to act against and prevent the perpetrator. For example, there are cases where the perpetrator and/or the community pays large amounts of money, threatens, for example, destroys intentionally 
parts of the family's life, shidduchim, jobs, etc. And many other means that I'm not aware of. With such cases, the action to protect future potential victims, in addition to being there for the already victim, also includes changing or fighting a corrupt system, even if some of the system are convinced that protecting their name or the community's name is the most important thing. Even L'Shem Shemayim. In other words, the people who may wish to keep things quiet may do everything in their power to do so, and sometimes that can be a lot of power at their hands. After writing the above, I can think that maybe you did address salutations in a general sense. For example, education on the topic and the harm it should, that it should not be something taken lightly in a community or by leaders. Also, you gave a general direction. It seems to me that such a change and shift in communities will take great effort, and Bezos Hashem will speed we speedily be successful. Blessings that all of this should be behind us in the Gula Mitzvah Bashlema Tekel from Yad Mamish. Okay. Another person writes Hi, I watched your shir on the saga. I just have one problem. Today, when the police become involved, all they're looking for is to kill. They're not looking for the truth, unfortunately. So today, even if you did something wrong and want to admit and do tshuva for it, you can't without being killed for the rest of your life. First of all, even a murderer in today's world, how can you get the police involved? In other words, deal with it internally. Get the guy the help he needs. Address it, but without the irreligious and non-Jews whose sole point is to kill regardless of truth. And even if true, the second is, is, is the public's good. And by the police and system, as mentioned above, the only way out is to kill yourself. And you can't admit it because if you do, you'll be destroyed for the rest of your life without a fair trial. Looking forward to your response. Well, I disagree. A crime is a crime, and police have to be called when there's a crime, especially one that can hurt people and has hurt people and can future. You have to protect the innocent. And yes, it's true. It can have collateral damage. We discussed that at length. But at the same time, a crime is a crime. Obviously, do everything with consultation, with discretion, in the proper way. But no, I don't believe that things can just be handled internally. Now, if you could handle it internally and to the full satisfaction of everyone involved is one thing. But often that will turn to cover-ups and so on. And we also need a deterrent against these types of crimes. Okay. There are more questions and more um, comments, plenty more. So I will reserve that for future weeks. I just simply can't do them all. So I want to conclude on a positive note. Let's go back to the Maimer of Basilegani and Yutzvat. So Yutzvat Maimer, if you want, addresses every type of shtus de l'umaze. Every horrible and not so horrible animal soul behavior, including predators and sexual abuse and betrayal and trust. And what's the answer in the Maimer? The answer is to transform it into a revolution of shtus de gdusha. Such terrible things happen. Now we have to create something that's not just regular. That's unprecedented. Revolutionary, pioneering. That transforms our children, our communities into deeply, powerfully, holy, spirit, spiritual, intimate experiences. And by I mean that intimate experience, I mean in a sacred way, in a holy way. What does marriage mean? What is sexuality? What is relationships? What is love? How the Tater explains it. That's our opportunity now. 
And in many ways, these challenges are of our time because of the leisure, the ease. We're not running for our lives. So there's a lot of comfort. When there's a lot of comfort, there's also a lot of indulgence that can lead to all kinds of negative things. That's our mission. So to going back to the Maimer, so the question that was asked, the Chassidus question, which I want to conclude with, since the Maimer Boshlegani has explained that the hidden treasure being revealed is the level of Erein Sof, Lamaila Aden Ketz, Lamaila Maila Aden Ketz, like he explains in chapter 17, as I mentioned, why does the Rebbe, the Rebbe elaborate, the Friedrich Rebbe, so much in chapters 12 through 14 on Lamata Mata Aden Tachlis? And perhaps these events that we're dealing with now can help explain that. Because it's true that the Oitzet itself, the most concealed treasure, is the treasure of Mailamala Adin Ketz, that which is completely concealed and only God knows about. In the Moshal, it goes that the, these treasures are only used for, for the king's internal use. And even that sometimes concealed because he himself is not using it, it remains concealed. Like Siddhis explains, and I'll explain later in Bosaligani, Helam even Lagaba Atzmei, because it's not in a state of revelation altogether. It's a fundamentally beyond state, so to speak. And that is revealed when it comes to a battle, whatever the battle, with an enemy, and every enemy, including the enemy of sexual predators. That we reveal the deepest, deepest thing that is always fundamentally concealed. But in addition to that, we also need giluyim. We need tools and resources. So Eirein Sof is also lamata mata aden tachlis. Not just we're revealing the highest levels going up, up, up into the divine mystery and mystique and the grandeur that's beyond us, but also how the Eirein Sof is within us and draws into us infinity and bligvul and Ein Sof. So though the real oitzer is l'mayla l'mayla adin ketz, but to understand the well, as the Rebbe says, in the, many of the maimorim, the Rebbe, as he explains the Basiligani, to, to appreciate that, let's first appreciate that which God gives us, being drawing down the Eireen Sof, that all the way down here, even in the darkest moment, even when a child is alone and been hurt and is crying in their bed, there's a bleak vul with them. Ein Sof is with you. And not just the concealed dimension. Because then you could say in your concealment you can connect to the divine concealment. No. In, in ultimately in a gilu that you can access it. So wherever you are, no matter what has happened in your life, you can access Ein Sof. The divine infinite. It's within you and within your capacity. And furthermore, we actually access even Atmos through our work down below. So when we're dealing with an enemy of any type, any adversity, any challenge, that's the power we have. Not just damage control, not just to lick our wounds and come away not so uh, unscathed, but far deeper than that, come out stronger than ever before. As they were oppressed and afflicted in direct proportion, they thrived and they blossomed. May we create a generation that thrives and blossoms Bosilagani, a garden, as it was in the beginning of creation, but as we're explained, that it'll be far higher even than before Chetetzadas. Then, yes, Lignuni, the Shechina was down below. But then, after it was concealed, and through all the Tzimtzumim and concealments, 
and through the thousands of years, including the darkest of the dark of Golos, including the darkness of our times and all its manifestations, that leads to a much deeper energy, even greater than what was there pre-tree of knowledge. Er Chadosh, that comes from the Helem, Helem Ha'atzmi, the Oitzer, and even higher to levels of Atzmus itself that are higher than Helem and Gili, as explained in Chassidus. That's our mandate. That's our Deir Ashvi. That's the power we have. We have Bligvul power. Not due to our own efforts alone, but due to all the strength given to us from all the generations, all the treasures. To appreciate it, to access it, to teach it to our children, to our friends, to our communities. That is the mission of our times. So everyone have a very freilich yud shvat. This has been My Life Chassidus Supplied, episode 387. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. ChassidusSupplied.com. We have all the archives. You could post and submit any question you like completely anonymously, as well as other many resources of Chassidus applying it to our personal lives. Everyone be blessed, and may we be zeicha to the boss legani achesikala with the geula amitis v'ashlem. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.